0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. High in the air! Brito back at the wall! Adios! Pelanta!
1: That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're gonna get. They're gonna get energy, they're gonna get accountability, they're gonna get structure, and they're gonna get support. And I'm gonna bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're gonna get where we hope and intend to go.
0: You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to episode 121 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. Andy, 121 plate appearances. That's exactly what Edwards Guzman had in 2001. Can you rank for me your Edwards
2: Guzman? Well, uh, first of all, are we sure that he's not plural? Is he, is he a I mean. plural person? Rank your Edwards. Oh, I see. Uh, well, uh, let's see. I can tell you this. I can rank Wander <laughs> Franco's for you. Um, the Giants have a Wander Franco. He's not the Wander Franco that you want, though. The, the Tampa Bay Rays have the <laughs> Wander Franco that you want. I could rank the the Gregor uh, Greg and Gregsman Blancos for
1: you, if you'd like. That's a good one. That's a good one. No, uh, Edwards Guzman just came up recently because uh, Zach Buchanan's oral history of Randy Johnson unbirding a bird. Uh, You know, Randy Johnson hitting a bird with a fastball. Edwards Guzman uh, kind of figures
2: prominently in that story. So good for him. Yeah, I think Edwards Guzman is the ultimate replacement player, although he's more than one. (laughs) Uh, He is, you know, I was always excited about him because
1: he could play a little catcher, you know, a little third base, a little left-handed bat in the lineup, but also could play catcher. He just couldn't really had enough to do any of that, but uh, this is off to a great start. Because right now, if we're focusing on Ed- Edwards Guzman, uh, we're not talking about if the Giants should release Mike Yastrzemski. <laughs> wow, yeah.
2: Reactionary much? Uh, so, yeah, we should back up. The Giants have played one series of actual baseball. And it was a series against the Seattle Mariners, who I'm not sure what impressions the Mariners left on you. They, don't, they do not seem like a very good baseball team. I mean, they basically didn't hit a whole lot at all. Uh, the Giants, you know, uh, allowed them to walk their way to one win. And, and you know, their offense sort of flatlined in the third game. And the result is a series that they should have won, they lost. They lost two out of three. And uh, I think the sort of mark of a bad team is you don't beat the teams that you should beat. And you just lose series. You lose two out of three. It's like watching the air go out of a balloon in your season. It doesn't mean that the Giants are doomed this year, but this was not the start they wanted to get off to. No, it certainly wasn't. Especially when you're all
1: offseason, you're thinking about, uh, you know, Sam Coonrod and a blown save and Trent Grisham walking off in Oracle Park and bullpen, bullpen, bullpen this, bullpen that. And then you get to the first game of the season and you're jacked up on on you know opening day dust and what happens just one of the most cataclysmic bullpen experiences you'll ever watch no one could throw a strike the the pitchers you trust to throw strikes couldn't throw strikes and it was it, it was as bad a taste as an opening day can leave in your mouth uh you know I'll I'll take Clayton Kershaw homering and pitching a complete game over over that bullpen collapse.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was just it was just maddening because they got guys in the bullpen who could throw strikes. They got rid of the guys who couldn't throw strikes and I mean there was one walk that I didn't have a problem with and that was Jose Alvarez walking um uh Trammell uh to lead off the bottom of the 10th. When they had first base open, that's what you should do. You either intentionally walk him or you just pitch around him and hope he gets himself out. And to the kid's credit, in his first major league game, he didn't. And, but then, you know, uh, obviously Alvarez couldn't find the strike zone after that and walked in the, uh, the walk off run um but yeah it's it's those are the guys that they got because they throw strikes because they don't you know pitch themselves out of an inning like that or 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 shoot themselves in the foot and so yeah that had to be super maddening for Farhan Zaidi for Gabe Kapler for for everybody in that coaching staff uh, that that's the way that it started but you know Jake McGee looked good he pitched uh, two really nice uh, innings during the series so um you know that at least is a positive and i think that you know yeah, opening day, everything's magnified, obviously, and and the hope is that these guys will get back to being the people that, that they're supposed to be, and the people that the Giants evaluated them to be. So, um, But obviously, that was the difference between them winning a series and losing a series.
1: Yeah, and Jose Alvarez, it specifically, the Giants had a host of left-handers in the bullpen. They, they were not hurting for left-handed options. They still gave him a guaranteed contract because he, he offered a little bit more stability, a little bit more cost certainty, and that's the first time he's walked three batters in a game since 2015 and it's like okay that's not how he's going to be that's not that's not his his mo uh at the same time it was the first time he pitched in the major league since he got hit uh, in the rosin bag with a line drive up the middle and like he there's going to be some adrenaline there there's going to be some nerves and jitter so
2: just a blip probably it just it doesn't make it Go down easier. Yeah, and we should say, uh, before we do release Mikey Strzemsky, he does have one hit. He got his first hit. <laughs> he's he's one for thirteen. Austin Slater's one for twelve. Brandon Crawford's one for eleven. And and that's going to happen. You're not going to have everybody come firing out of the gate uh, unless you're there. You have a team full of Donovan Solano's because hey, look, he's seven for fourteen again. Um, but uh, yeah, you know the offense is not going to be there every single day. It it isn't for any team. It doesn't matter. It isn't there every day for the twenty seven Yankees. So uh, you can't rely on the offense to save the day. But I thought in overall, I thought the rotation pitched pretty well. Um, A lot better than than I think the rotation was equipped to pitch coming out uh, to start last season. Um, it's just, yeah, that one bullpen blow up obviously made the difference. I think that's a good point. I, I was
1: impressed with the rotation. It's, it's tricky because it's not like the Mariners are filled with thumper after thumper, but they have some, they have some hitters that you you want to be careful of. I, I really do think Ty France is going to be, uh, if not a, a star, a star adjacent. I think the Padres didn't want to give him up necessarily, but they, they did in a, in a trade. And I am glad that he is out of the NL West. He has that vibe where when When Chris Taylor, in two thousand and seventeen had emerged onto the scene, and he was in the postseason. He was as focused of a hitter as I've ever seen. And just, where are you going to pitch him? It seems like anytime you've gone anywhere near the middle of the strike zone, he was waiting for it. Two strikes didn't matter. That's the vibe I get from Ty France. And I am glad that he's not on on the Padres.
2: So um, I know you're a fan of uh, players whose names are also complete sentences, such as Pete Rose. (laughs) Um, Ty France, to me, sounds like a result from World Cup group play. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know, if you tie France, you've you've done well for yourself, usually. You really have. I mean, that that's that's a tough matchup, and you're able to get a point out of it. So so good for you for tying France. <laughs> but to the larger part, I think uh,
1: Gossman looked good. queto was solid. You know he he pitched into the sixth inning. Logan Webb maybe wasn't as dominant as he was in the spring, but I do feel like there was a a, a fight in him and a confidence in him. He when he got in trouble in that that game, he was able to pitch his way out of it. Gabe Kapler let him pitch his way out of it. And I don't think that's what the result would have been last year on either side.
2: Yeah, I I just felt bad for Logan Webb last year. I mean, not only did he have his own issues, but I mean, it just seemed like so many games... There was just all kinds of Keystone Cop stuff going on behind him. I mean, uh, you know, and and even some catcher's interference I think happened uh, on his watch, and that a couple of times innings should have ended and they were extended, and all of a sudden, boom, the guy's thrown thirty-nine pitches in an inning, and and he's pretty much his outing is sunk. You know, he's not going to make it past five if he gets lucky to get that far. So, um, you know, it, it wasn't just him, but I think that uh, there were times he could have made a pitch to maybe bail out a teammate, and he wasn't able to do it. And so, yeah, seeing that that growth from him. And, 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 you know, we talked about it last time. I think the obvious reason that he pitched against the Mariners as the number three starter and not against the Padres as the number four starter was to try to get him off to a smoother start. So, you know, it wasn't exactly a dominant outing. It's a loss. um, But I don't think it's necessarily a kind of outing that's going to send him, you know, tumbling into the fetal position. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and, and they'll have to reset his mental uh, sort of um, confidence. That's going to be the question
1: with all these guys is is the rotation. You know, how, how many innings are, are they going to pitch deep? Are they going to have to rely on the bullpen? Are they going to have to find extra innings? Are they going to need that Sacramento to San Francisco shuttle if if you've got some tired relievers, stuff like that? Uh, so the first the first three games were a little po- – I think that's the blueprint. You know, getting into the sixth inning, uh, you know, it's not going to be three innings and then it's a bullpen game. It, it's not going to be that, like, you know, almost like a quasi-opener. Um, it's going to be getting to the sixth inning, you know, maybe the seventh if, if you're Gaussman and you're rolling. It was fairly impressive. Again, Mariners, what can we really figure out with that? But we'll know a little bit more with the Padres.
2: Uh, yeah, for sure. There's no avoiding the Padres. There's no avoiding the Dodgers. They're going to face both of them, what, like 19 times? It's the start of NL West play. It is sort of weird. I think it's the first time the Giants have ever opened the season with uh, interleague games, right? Right. And I, I even was about to write in my preview... Wilmer Flores will become the first uh, uh, opening day DH in Giants history until I remembered, oh wait, no, they had one last year. And so I looked it up and it was Hunter Pence, your podcast partner, uh, other than me, who was the, who who will always hold that distinction as the first opening day DH in Giants history. Um, but yeah, there's only so much you can make from it. It's three games. It wouldn't matter who the opponent is. But I think just overall in, in the context of a season, you can look back on any series against, you know, a team that maybe isn't the strongest and think, okay, that's where we need to clean up. I mean, that's that to me is the difference between a team like the Dodgers and a team like the Giants. There are so many years where they play each other even, and then you look up at the end of the year, and the Dodgers are 30 games ahead in the standings. And that's because the Dodgers would have swept that series against against the um, Mariners. Uh, the, the Rockies, they didn't even play very well, and they still were able to uh, make some hay against the Rockies, uh, so they passed each other on the base paths on a home run uh, and, and uh, lost that game, but still were able to win a series. So um, that's the difference to me. I think, you know, you, you're, you're really good teams find a way to, to sweep bad teams or, or at least win series. Whereas if you're a little challenged, maybe maybe they become a little more like a coin flip. And, and, and you stack those up and stack those up and stack those up over 162 games. And, and that's where you see the difference in the standings.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't
2: get a hold of anyone?
0: One thing that we just don't have and our brains aren't used to are
1: series by series stats. And what I mean by that is, you know, I can't go, go back in in time and say like the 2020 season. OK, uh, how did Evan Longoria hit against the Diamondbacks in the series in late August? I don't, I don't know. You know, like I'm not staring at those stats. We just – there's games, and they happen, and some players have good games, bad games, three good games in a row, three bad games in a row, whatever. You forget about it move on. Uh, When it's the start of the season, though, these are all the stats we can stare at. We're looking at one-season stats, and I'm looking at it going, okay, okay, so Evan Longoria is definitely going to be an MVP this year, but, boy, you know, Slater is – Ah, uh, what happened to Slater and all Dubon, oh they can't live with that. And it's like, no, it's three it's three games, you know? And and I'm as guilty as anybody. is it's like staring
2: at these opening series stats and trying to trying to make something of them. You can't. Yeah, and, and that goes from a fantasy perspective as well. I mean, I was very excited about my first draft pick, uh, Juan Soto. I was very excited about my second draft pick, uh Francisco Lindor. I was also very excited <laughs> down in the draft to get a, a, a really good guy who had probably was the hottest hitter all spring at a position that's becoming a little scarcer to find a lot of production. That's first base. I got Josh Bell. Very excited to watch all three of those guys play, and none of them have a hit yet. Yeah, that is funny how they don't have a hit. I know your pain,
1: and as long as we're going to talk about fantasy teams. They also I mean, don't have
2: an at-bat, though. I should point that out. Right, and if
1: as long as we're going to annoy our listeners, I mean, come on. Let me have at it. The, uh, Pete, I've got, like, all Mets. Uh, so I've got Pete Alonzo. I've got Brandon Nemo, I've got Jeff McNeil. I picked up Jacob DeGrom, uh, Marcus Stroman. Just met, 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 met. And yeah, they haven't, they haven't played yet.
2: And I forgot to set my lineup. So now I'm screwed. <laughs> Oops. Um, yeah, I do have Brandon Crawford as my backup for Lindor. So I was able to get his. Oh, what did he do? Oh, yeah. One for 11. I've got two Giants outfielders. They're Austin Slater and Mike Kastrzemski. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> not off to a good start. Not off to a good start.
1: Oh, all right. That That's enough of that. And by that, I mean, that's enough of that for the year. Okay, so we, <laughs> we, uh, it, so now we're looking forward to a Padres series. And it's one thing where the Giants, they have a, a funky start and it's it's on the road. It's against a team you don't really know. You're not going to make too much of it. But then you look up and the Padres are 3-1. and one. And you're starting to think, okay, it, it, obviously we're not going to get out of hand quickly. But if the Giants drop this series, if the Giants, say, get swept... It's all of a sudden, like, that's a real early body blow that's hard to recover from. And I don't care if it's a 162 game season. It's all of a sudden, it, there's a lot of ground to make up right away.
2: Yeah. You never want to be the team that's not favored and get off to a bad start because yeah. it almost has a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of tinge to it and not just you know like exterior expectations are being fulfilled but it can erode belief within a clubhouse too I mean it's like we are who they said we were no you don't <laughs> want that you don't want that creeping in yeah it's right. it's much better to get off to a fast start and you know it, there are some teams that get off to a fast start and it doesn't mean anything go back and look at what the Rockies did last year they were like after two weeks of this of the 60 game season you're thinking well okay they're one of the wild cards at minimum and then they went off a cliff so you know I Obviously, you got to sustain it and you can't uh, you can't, uh, um, you know, fake it forever. But but yeah, if if you're a team that everyone is expecting to be 500 or worse and you get off to a bad start, that's just not where you want to be.
1: Now, how close do you think the Padres are to the Dodgers? Are they right there? Are they maybe a little better than the Dodgers? Are the Dodgers just a little bit better? Are the Dodgers a lot better? Give me your rundown when you're comparing those two teams. Which one
2: you're giving the upper hand? Wow. You know, I think the Dodgers just have much more pitching depth, I think they can throw a lot more at you. And the Padres pitching is probably going to be a little more conventional. I think the big difference is going to be you know, some of the guys like Morahone and what we see Mackenzie Gore this year. Um, that's where maybe the second level of Padres depth is that we don't know as much about. Um, I mean, it, it's just sort of crazy that you could have You know someone like May or someone like Gonsolin, and not have them in your rotation because you've got so much pitching. Um, I I think that's probably what separates the Dodgers right now. But in terms of 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 uh, of offense, I, I think the Padres are every bit as good as the Dodgers, if not maybe even a little better. Yeah, like I have questions about about the Padres.
1: I have questions about Jake Cronenworth. Can he? He kind of struggled in the second half of last season. So, which one are you going to believe? Uh, you know, uh, Kim. I think is an interesting player. They're going to find a, a use for him if you know if he's hitting. But he had a miserable spring, and so he's still very much you know an open question. At the same time, boy, Fernando Tatis makes up for a lot of ills. And then that that front of the rotation where you're talking uh, uh, Chris Paddock is is your fourth starter, perhaps. uh, And that's until Lamette comes back and maybe he's your fifth starter. And that's absurd. That's an absurd amount of depth. And, you know, we're not even talking about Mike Clevenger, who's out for the year. But it's it's just a ridiculous rotation, just enough offense to to make them an, an elite team. I think the Dodgers are a little bit better. I think you're right. I think the, the pitching depth for LA is just a little bit, it gets them over Gonsolin, you know, not even starting, forget about it. But the Padres are freaky, freaky good, and we're going to see them uh, firsthand.
2: Yeah, and, and it's going to be uh, Anthony Desclafani making his Giants debut today against Morejon, and then Aaron Sanchez making his Giants debut against Hugh Darvish. And then it'll be Kevin Gossman and uh, Blake Snell on Wednesday. So they're going to see, you know, the top two guys in the Padres rotation in this series. And I think it's going to make winning the series opener all the more important because um, you're obviously not setting up so great uh, if you need to beat Darvish and Snell to win a series.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not like Marjon is, is anything to sneeze at either. He would be the Giants' best prospect, pitching prospect by a healthy margin. I'm really, really curious. I love seeing new pitchers. like, And what I mean by new pitchers, you know, new to the Giants. And so I I'm really curious. I've seen him in the spring. I liked his stuff. I was advocating for the Giants signing him before they did. I thought he was a real good buy low candidate. Um, I, I he was on the ascent before last season, and then I don't think last season counts for anything. Uh, in, in, and that's not just baseball, it's just life. Like you know, like I, I wrote, you know, if you were born in two thousand twenty, it's basically like Pirates of Penzance, where you just don't have a birthday. You were never born. You don't exist. <laughs> Nothing in twenty twenty existed. Um, so De- Desclafani, I I have high hopes for Aaron Sanchez. I have no idea. I just have no read on him. I I didn't get to watch him enough in spring. Just totally an open book. I have no idea how he's going to pitch.
2: Yeah, I I really don't either. I mean, you know, part of that is just the fact that, you know, we had to cover spring training from home. And, uh, you know, and so I, I don't really have a ton of insight on just how... Uh, he looked, how repeatable was his delivery and his mechanics. And, and, you know, you heard about the 97 miles per hour that he was throwing in his showcase, which which sort of prompted the Giants to have to give him a guaranteed $4 million deal, uh, which seemed like a lot of money for a guy who hadn't pitched since 2019, but then, you know, you heard about the velo in exhibition games and it was only like 92. And, and, and granted, you know, Reyes Maranta needed some time to build up his velo as well. Um, you got a guy who hasn't pitched in, in, in two years. Uh, you know, it's not to say that he's going to be able to ramp up, but anytime that he came in the Zoom room and was asked how he was feeling, he's like, I'm ready to go. Let's go. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be ready. And one one time he threw a sim game and he was like almost kind of ticked off that he thought he was going to be pitching in the Cactus League exhibition and they told him, no, you're going to be pitching basically batting practice. And so he's like, I, I'm i ready for a game. So clearly he's fired up and he thinks that he's ready and, and I think it's one of those things where, okay, you're going to have to show us. We're going to throw you out there and obviously they think he's equipped to to open as the number 5 starter a little bit by by default with with Alex Wood out but you know they have Connor Menez they had other people that they could have turned to if uh, if they didn't think Sanchez was ready so yeah, he's going to play a big role in this team if if he can break out and be a, a sort of a Kevin Gosman, uh, the next generation or Kevin Gosman the Rathocon. I don't know, pick your sequel. Um, <laughs> then that would be a huge development for these guys, not just you know to give them some more stability, but also maybe give them somebody that they could trade if if things don't work out.
1: Really interesting profile that he has because he is not your when he's right, he's going to be striking out ten batters per nine innings. Like he's not a blow it past you guy. He never was when he finished. 7th in the Cy Young voting in 2016 he had kind of a league average strikeout rate. He, he kept runs off the board by keeping the ball in the ballpark and it, Ever you know, ever since then he he scuffled a little bit with the Blue Jays. He was always one of those pitchers where where people said, oh man, just get him to the right team, just get him to a team that can that can tweak and finesse his stuff a little bit more than the Blue Jays. And so what happened? The Astros, one of those brainiac teams, trades for him. He immediately goes out and, and is part of a no hitter. And you're thinking, <laughs> you know, they just flip the magic switch. They're gonna get him to rely on that curveball more or whatever whatever it takes. And then poof, he was gone because he got hurt. And, and so there's still like a lot of unanswered questions about him. Can he start to miss bats? Did the What did the Astros see in him when they traded for him? What did they unlock? What were they planning on unlocking? And clearly the Giants kind of have that idea of, well, we can unlock something too. And I'm curious to see what it might be.
2: Yeah. And, you know, the other thing is, um, he's got to stay away from blisters uh, that we forgot about that. And and before he even had the shoulder issues, I mean, the blue Jays basically spent, you know, three years with his fingers stuck in pickle juice or whatever the heck they did try to try <laughs> to, to keep him from getting blisters. And, and, and it just didn't work. And I, I, I do think that's really interesting that we had about a two year period where all of a sudden everybody was getting blisters and it had to be a difference with the seams the or baseball, the ball. Yeah. Some people were saying the seams were higher and that's why some people were saying the seams were flatter and you had to, grip harder um to try to dig and and get something so yeah i mean gosh that seems to have been an issue and and the ball is a little bit different now and i haven't heard a whole lot of people with blister issues but then you had kevin gossman not throwing his split all spring and i thought well that's kind of weird um so you know I, i i don't doubt that there are some guys dealing with some sort of uh cuticle issues uh or or other and and uh and, you know, that that's just one more thing to watch with this guy because he's got a history of it. And
1: have we heard anything about the baseballs? I haven't seen what Eno's been saying about it. Are they, I think there's uh, uh, less drag, more drag. Like there's some little difference going on with it. I
2: have no idea how that would relate to blisters, though. I don't know either. Um, I do think that the, the ball was traveling pretty well, I thought, in Seattle, just watching mm. off of the TV. You know, we had a, a, a number of off field home runs. So, and by the way, Some people call it off field. I always call it opposite field. Do you ever call it off field? No, I never call it off field. It's uh, opposite field. I read uh, Bruce Jenkins' column, uh, and he must have used the phrase off field like 80 times in one column. And every single time, it sort of made me stop, uh, because I'm like, I just don't use that phrase. But maybe some people do.
1: That is some soda and pop stuff, where maybe it's regional. I know Bruce has been around for a while. But uh, it's also, so it's regional. So you have soda, you have pop. And then some places, everything's a Coke. Uh, But it's also incorrect to call it pop. Uh, It's just incorrect. uh, You should be not arrested, uh, shunned, shamed. (laughs) You know, if you call it pop, honestly, I mean, I'm teasing. But I went to college at Southern Oregon University uh, in Ashland, Oregon. And so I'm up there. I'm a teenager. And I'm out of the dorms. I am in a house with my roommate. And he goes, hey, can you grab me a pop? And it was literally the first time. This is before the internet, really, you know, before it was in every home. And it was the first time I'd ever heard anyone say, pop. And it just stopped. It, it's. It, I still remember where I was, the direction I was facing, the lighting of the room. <laughs> pop,
2: are you, pop. So, you know, off field. And then you responded with, would you like butter on that? And then your roommate was really confused. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's uh, I, like I
1: almost I, I identify with everything being a coke more than I identify with pop, you know, like, can you get me a coke? What kind? Well, the Mountain Dew kind like I almost identify with that more than pop
2: pop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Wisconsin, they call water fountains bubblers. OK. Um, I like that one. The, I can the, the, with the that, East you know? Coast one, The East Coast one that bothers me is when people from New York say they're standing online. Yes. It's yes. like, I, and I feel like that one probably will change now because being online is something different now. Um, but yeah. Uh, it, you're, you're in line you're standing in the line you're in line these regional differences well I, I agree
1: with you off field is terrible uh, it's opposite field because you, you don't have an off taco you have an oppo taco and that's also terrible we, we, we don't say oppo taco either um, alright all right. so we've got uh, we're going to be talking about the Padres series next time do you have any predictions do you think this is going to go okay or are, is this like a, a little slow motion train wreck that, that we're about to see
2: you know I think that the giants will play him tough. I don't think they're going to get swept. I think they'll win at least one game and it probably would behoove them to win the first game. I think that Darvish is probably going to shove and maybe they'll have a chance to get to Snell, but yeah, boy, uh, it's, you know, it's hard to know exactly what's going to happen because early in the season, sometimes teams take a while to get in their groove and, uh, it does look like the Padres are off to a good start. Fernando Tatis Jr. is not off to a great start um, of the season, but you know it, it almost reminds me of when like the Rockies would come to town and Nolan Arenado would be in a slump and not doing much of anything, and then he would wake up against the Giants. <laughs> the Giants no. were great at, at waking up Nolan Arenado, and and then yes. you know he would have a month in which he hit you know 1000000000 homers. Uh, so I think the key is to not wake up uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. in this series. Uh, Will Myers three home runs or. Or four? Uh, I think that Will Myers will hit four home runs in this series. And also, he'll fly up to San Francisco uh, the morning of one of the games and hit two more up there, too. <laughs> That's about right. Uh, so, Maury Holm's going
1: tonight. And uh, I was looking at his, his stats. Very fascinating stat line. Because last year, he, he threw 19 and a third innings. Uh, he struck out 25 and walked four. That's a great, that's excellent strikeout rate, ex- excellent strikeout-to-walk ratio. And you're thinking, rut you know, like this guy, this guy's going to come out and fire and he gave up seven home runs in those 19 innings. Uh, that's a lot. That is a, tr- that, that is a, uh, uh, That's a guy having a hard time keeping the ball in the ballpark. And that just so happens to be what the Giants might be good at against a left-hander. So I'm really curious about this matchup. Is he going to blow it by them? Is he going to blow it by 80% of them and then give up some dingers? It it seems like a very, it could go either way matchup.
2: Yeah. And I think I would say uh, that's one of the things I'm most interested to find out how how it's going to look uh, is the Giants' offense in this series when they're going to be facing a super high velo guy or a super high strikeout guy like Darvish? Right. They built this lineup to try to minimize strikeouts and get guys who can put the ball in play. And you know they they had they struck out a fair amount of times. I think you say Kikuchi struck out ten, right? And he's not yeah. normally a strikeout pitcher uh, up in Seattle. So um, I'm going to be interested to see what the strikeout total will be at the end of this series. And, and if uh, it's going to be, you know, somewhat uh, reasonable given who they're facing, or if they're just going to be overwhelmed by a lot of stuff and a lot of velo.
1: Yeah, I, I will say this about the, the Mariners though, is that like Kikuchi also, he's throwing in the high 90s and it made me go, wait wait a second, what? You know, I had to go back and start looking at philosophies or er, velocities. And uh, Kendall Graven was the other one. Like he start, he starts throwing and you're like, Wait, Kendall Graveman? You know of the Long Island Gravements? Like, it's <laughs> he, Kendall Graveman was throwing darts and he was throwing ninety-seven with pitches that disappeared and blew up. And I had to look it up. He wasn't like that with the A's. He wasn't like that as a starter. So you know they've they've uh, pomeranced him, and so the Mariners are doing something right up there,
2: I guess. Well, I mean, drive line is like you know like basically two miles away, so. Uh, yeah, send them all over there. Plyo balls. Plyo balls, baby. Plyo balls. Man, those look like they hurt.
1: All right. This has been episode 121 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. Uh, thank you so much for listening. When we come back, we'll have an idea of what the Padres did against the Giants, if the Giants were able to test their pitching. And then we'll be able to preview a Rockies series, and that's going to be on Thursday. So we'll be back.